and welcome to the Glow Journal Podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by two of the co-founders of Elemis, Noella Gabriel and Ariel Frank. This is probably the best example of serendipity that we've had on the show in the way that Noella, Ariel and their third co-founder, Sean Harrington, were brought together, each with a complementary skill set, the combination of which was precisely what the brand needed, but also with no real understanding of what they were saying yes to. This this might sound silly, but you know how you'll hear interviews with the cast of Friends and they talk about how they, of course, couldn't predict how successful the show would be. I kind of get the same sense from Noella and Ariel in that they were saying yes to something that seemed interesting, but by no means did they imagine that 34 years later the brand they co-founded would be stocked in 100 countries. The other thing I had to keep reminding myself of, Elemis was founded in 1989 in London, but all of the products and really the ethos overall feels so modern and so current that combination of science backed formulas and botanical ingredients feels very much like something that would be launched in 2023 so I was interested to hear how they went about educating consumers on what they were doing on launch and what that reception was like in this conversation Ariel and Noella who have had two of the most interesting lives of anyone I've ever interviewed share just how deeply they are looking at sustainability and traceability, how they maintain a relevant brand identity 34 years into business, and what they did when the brand's first ever clinical trial results came back to show the product did absolutely nothing. We start... Every single conversation in the very same way, and that is by asking, what is your earliest memory of beauty? Ariel, perhaps we'll start with you. You're the daughter of a Holocaust survivor. Tell me what you can about your upbringing and how that affected your idea of what beauty is. Yeah, well, my mother's family, they came from a very humble background. They were bulb growers from Holland. Uh, And my grandfather created new varieties of tulips and irises. And for me, being in nature with the sort of sweet scent of that lily in his greenhouses, that was beauty to me. Um, And then on my father's side, there was my amazing grandmother, Trixie, who who was a Holocaust survivor. And she was this tiny powerhouse of a woman. And she survived with her three sons, three concentration camps. And she was proud and she was stoic and she was super strong. And she was a really courageous person, but she probably, interestingly enough, is my earliest memories of beauty. Um, She went to, when she was 18, she went to a finishing school in Amsterdam, which was a thing that they did in those days to be taught Mm -hmm. etiquette and sort of life skills, literally how to iron. And she was always immaculately turned out. She'd get her hair set every week. She'd go to the hairdressers, have it tinted. She'd get her nails done and red lipstick. And she had, of course, Chanel number five. That was her scent. So that for me, that she's my iconic first real knowledge of of somebody in beauty. Wow. What a woman. Yeah, amazing. And Noella, what is your earliest memory of beauty? 
Well, Jimmy, I have nothing as glamorous as that. I come from a I come from a small town in Ireland, as you can hear my accent, I'm Irish. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a small little town in West Cork, one street. Uh, I love it very dearly. In fact, I'm on a plane tomorrow back there again for my soul. Um, my first memory, beauty was a word that wasn't mentioned very, very often, as you can imagine. But my mother never left the house without her lipstick. And I'll always remember looking up at her as a young child. Everything we were fully dressed, and out would come this little lipstick, and it was it was unbranded. I you know I didn't never, don't even remember watching her buy it, but never left the house without lipstick. And I thought that was always a, a bit of color. She was a very colorful lady. And of course, the other one was, and, and which I think must have inspired me into the world of aromatics, is she brought in rose petals and put them in a bowl of water on the table. Now, at that time, I thought that was all a bit silly because I love roses in the full bloom. I didn't really understand that. You know, when you took petals off a rose, the aromatic still keeps being produced. Of course, by the end of the third day, this little bowl of petals would be scenting these beautiful roses across the room. So I think I had two levels of beauty. I had looking up at this woman, putting on her lipstick and feeling very proud to leave the house. And then I, I had a home full with these, filled with these beautiful aromatics and it kind of stopped me in my tracks. So I think I had two levels of beauty and feel very privileged of Heather. So you were exposed to the joy of aromatics from an early age. I know that you're a big believer in really your entire lifestyle kind of shaping overall well-being in a sense. Is that something that was instilled in you from an early age or is that something that you learned over time? No, I think, you know, I I was destined to be a classical singer, Gemma. You know, and it could be we could this. be talking today. You know, I could have been in the, the you know the Sydney Opera House was my aim, my dream. I was a big dreamer, as you can see. <laughs> Uh, so we could have had a very different story. However, um, when you when you're training at the early ages to be a classical singer, they don't train the voice because it's very young and it's very fragile. But what they start you training in is the breath and how the breath sings your voice. So it's all about breath and about the exhale breath touching every muscle and every cell of your body. So here was the curiosity was around, oh, my God, you know, the voice is here, but I have to think of my whole body. And that kind of was the start of that curiosity and my journey into looking at everything as the sum of all the parts. And I think that, again, then, you know, learning how to breathe properly, um, the power of the breath. And then, of course, that immediately brings you into what you inhale, what you smell, what's around you, how it brings color and changes your day. So, yeah, so that was the beginning of the journey. But it all stemmed from, you know, learning about how to breathe properly and the power of the breath. There you go. So I had read that you trained to be a classical singer and I thought, how how could the two possibly be linked? But there you go. Is that what you wanted to be when you grew up? Oh, it was it was, you know, I it was my passion and, and still is. I think I think I, you know, I, I would you ask me what's my first love? I would have to stop and kind of juggle to see which one I lean into. And um, it's never too late. Who knows? You never know. I might I might end on that. I'm ultimately a performer. I love an audience. I am a I'm a performer. I love an audience. And I think that goes hand in hand with with singing. You know, it, you have to love both. Otherwise, it's a real struggle. So, yeah, um, 
there was, you know, uh, my parents passed away when I was in 1920. Uh, it was a very, it was a life changing, it was catastrophic, it blew the family away, We they died within three months of each other, mm-hmm. and I look back on it now and I kind of think, oh my god, that was a real rite of passage, but it did change the journey, and the journey was I couldn't sing because I was too emotional, mm-hmm. and then I decided to to step into a different world, and so that was, the, that was the, the crossroads, so here we are today. Wow. What about you, Ariel, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, gosh. Well, I I was always making things, creating things, Mm. polishing stones, collecting fossils, shells, making pictures, you name it, bead weaving. Uh, I spent a lot of my childhood in the garden. My my parents had were restoring a 16th century cottage. So I'd go up every weekend when I was a child. So I spent a lot of time with them restoring. But I'd always be collecting things. I remember making chamomile hair infusions. And it was lovely what you were saying, Noella, there about the roses, that we collect roses and we'd make rose water. So that was really incredible. Um, Then I really wanted to be like a physiotherapist. (laughs) So I was a bit all over the place. Um, but my mum reminded me and and said, you know, I always said to her, what's the point of being on this planet for such a short period of time if you don't do something memorable? And it wasn't about sort of fame, fame, but I really had this desire that if I was going to do something, I, I had to really make a difference. Um, so that was when I asked my mum that question. That's what she said. I love that. Will you, if research serves me, you studied business management and marketing at mm-hmm. Kingston University in London. What was your yeah. plan from there? Where did you think that your studies might take you career-wise? Do you know, I had no no idea. Love it. I really, <laughs> you know, it was a four-year degree. It had a, a placement in France, which I thought would be amazing because I was mm. doing French. And it was really broad. And I was one of those people that was always considered an all-rounder. You know, good, good, not excelling at one area, maths or physics, but I was a good all-rounder. So... I chose business because I thought, you know, I'll learn a little bit about psychology, a little bit about economics, a little bit. So it was very broad. And then the two six month placements was what really shaped it for me. You know, we got to go to went to Canada for six months and I was on the 54th floor of this the Dominion Centre overlooking Ontario. And I was in the banking world. You know, I was in the fishbowl and it was Mm -hmm. a very, very uh, progressive banker called Gordon Capital. And uh, it was at the heydays and, you know, they were hiring helicopters flying around the building and going off to the Indy 500 and they were crazy days. And I I, I soon realised that I was more interested in the design of the the shares, the Disney shares were beautiful, these Mm. proper certificates. And I was locked in this thing called the cage and every day I had to count how many share certificates we had in those days because you didn't have the systems. And I, I really realized I was more interested in the design than all this money, millions being put away. It didn't mean anything to me, money, uh, in that respect. And then the second six months was completely opposite. Went to work for a design agency and it made me realize you know, I was put on an account. I was told, you're right, you're going to be on Marlboro Special Lights, uh, Special Lights cigarettes. And yes. I was like, oh, I don't smoke. <laughs> Not this really. came and up in this, my research and I thought this could not be further away from what you're doing now. And, and literally to be told, you know, you have to work on that and you have to promote younger people to, to get into smoking. Plus they were all smoking around me because in those days they had free cigarettes and you could smoke in the office. Oh so I got to the end of six months going, I enjoyed the creativity, but I really didn't enjoy for working for a company. I, 
a brand that had no ethics in my in my mind and didn't mean anything and so even though they were two really different experiences I learned a lot of what I wasn't interested in well that's valuable often that's yeah. I mean if a process of elimination is what's going to get you there then <laughs> exactly Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, and then I set off traveling for 18 months after four years of degree and honestly incredible India Nepal climbed up mountains or, and do you know what I think that life experience of meeting many people from different cultures actually spilled a lot into Elemis in the in the later years but I think you grow up and you learn a lot from just the, that experience three girls set off on their own through India Nepal Thailand worked in Australia spent a year in Australia and then came back via Thailand where I actually studied traditional Thai massage because it was one wow. of that physio, that physio piece kept going on in my head. And I was like, do you know what? I'm gonna go and study that for six weeks in Chiang Mai. I'm on my own now traveling back home and I'm gonna do that. And that freedom and that to allow yourself to, to learn something new w- was amazing. Noella, at what point did you find yourself working in beauty after stepping away from music? Well, you know, when I threw up the scholarship to everyone around me, dismay at the time and walked away from being a classical singer, I decided that I would open a health shop in my hometown. And you're going back, okay? I'm left Ireland almost 40 years now, so we're going back. And, you know, one street in this town and the name of the health shop was Acorn. And I opened it with my sister, who's a psychotherapist and a movement yoga, yoga, yoga movement psychotherapist. And, and, and so I was in the, the health and the, and the fit and the beauty. And, the, and, you know, I wanted that was my love and my aromatics. And she had that. So the two of us opened. Uh, uh, and I remember, Jemmy, you know, people looking at the window thinking, you know, Lesseton and Wheatram and Bran, what do I use that for? And they were coming in the door going, you know, will you stock something? Because we knew your mother and we really would love to buy something in here, but we can buy nothing in the shop. So, you know, it was a lear- it was a journey of education again. And, you know, it was, you can call it entrepreneurial, you can call it madness, you can call it brave, you can call it naive, all of those things. But, you know, it was bold. I did a nutrition course then because I thought I can't sell anything without really understanding everything about it and the skin. And that was my love for skin started to come. You know, nutrition, body, skin. Skin isn't just there to hold all the pieces together. It has a real big function here. And I wanted to know more about that function. And then I went off to qualify as a beauty therapist because, and I wanted a Sedesco qualification because that was the qualification that would take me around the world. It was the only qualification you could travel with. And I wanted to see the world and I wanted to look at cultures and I wanted to taste it and, and experience it. So I did a two and a half year course in beauty therapy, which doesn't exist today because you do a full AMP to mm. a medical level, to a nurse level. Uh, so I came out of there knowing everything about the body, everything about the skin. And then I qualified as an aromatherapist to tick the last box that was missing. So now I had nutrition, I had skin, I had aromatics. Now I was excited. But of course, what does Noella do? She takes a guitar and goes off to New York for a year. And I sing my way. And I sing my way around New York in every Irish pub. And I sang Danny Boy 
every every night I sang Danny Boy until I could sing it no more, Jenna. So you know, so I'm a very I'm a real person of two parts, you know. Like I was I was gone down this avenue and I fell in love with this passion, and then suddenly I thought I had abandoned my singing. So I thought, oh God, I'm gonna go off to New York, and that was my love affair with New York started to fall because I returned later back in the Elemis journey back to New York again. But that was the beginning of the love affair. So I'm always a little bit, you know, but that whole concept of beauty started to come together. And I was very young, you know, I was very young with a big, you know, thinking about skincare from the neck down. I mean, nobody did. I mean, mm. everybody just treated what they saw in the mirror. Yeah. You know, and here was I thinking, you know, hang on a minute. The, you know, this is attached to everything going on down here. So, you know, it, it was an exciting concept, but I passionately believed in it. I believed that was a real stance in beauty that needed to be looked at. And that was the beginning of it. I might jaw just hit the floor because I do a pretty deep dive before these interviews and you popping up in every Irish pub in New York did not come up in my research. (laughs) I kept that little bit very quiet but you know full of years but amazing and and it's why I love New York and to walk New York today takes me back to those days it's a beautiful city one of my first my, my my second love from London New York. Well, this is where the timelines sort of start to come together. This is where we can really get into the beginnings of Elemis. There's a few moving pieces here. Oriel, you had travelled. You mentioned you'd worked in Thailand. You've come back through London. I know that you first met your co-founder, Sean Harrington, through his father. What's the story there? How did this come about? It's actually the other way around. I, I met ah. Sean, I met Sean before I went to university. We were both studying for our A levels. Wow! I think we were, we were like eighteen. Yeah. And he started late in the term, and I remember the geography teacher saying that they had a new boy arriving from from college, and who would look after him on his first day. And my friends nominated me, and and I had to tell him how the college worked, where to go, what we did, and we kind of as a friendship group we we took him under our wing and looked after him and Sean's father was in the beauty business and we got to know uh-huh. Sean's father he was a bigger larger than life character John Harrington and he ran this incredible um, beauty salon in Mayfair but he loved you know all the younger generation sort of being around and uh, he offered me my first Saturday job and I worked for him and they treated the stars you know rock stars the royals they all came to the salon in Mayfair and it was my Saturday job and I remember like giving George Michael a glass of water while he was tanning his face <gasps> you know and it was just it was brilliant and his dad was an entrepreneur he he bought in ranges from France Sean would work with his dad and and you know we got involved so when I got back from traveling I didn't have a job and the first person I you know phone a friend and uh, Sean's father offered me a job, uh, literally 10 minutes down the road, uh, working for his his company, which Sean was working for as well. Uh, and we were distributing Vitamir and Ionithermi. And uh, yeah, I worked with John for a good couple of years. Meanwhile, Noella, you were running the beauty department at Harvey Nichols. You get a phone call from a Linda Steiner who had an idea. Talk me through it. 
Well, you're absolutely right. I returned from New York and I thought I better get a decent day job here or my parents, you know, no one will ever consider me as, as decent again. So I applied. There was a, 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 job, a role going in Harvey Nichols and I interviewed and I, you know, I got the role. And at that time, Harvey Nichols was really cutting edge in beauty. It was the sex in the city. You know, it was it was culty, it was edgy. And I thought, well, I, I need this. I need I need this energy. And I joined and I absolutely was loving it. I was two years in and I was cashing up at 20 past eight on a Thursday evening. I'll always remember it when the phone rang. Now, you know, I always think if I hadn't answered that phone, what would have happened? But I answered the phone and she said to me, I'm Linda Steiner. And she said, I heard you might be the girl that could help me, you know, bring to bring fruition an idea I had. And I always tell young people this today because, you know, at that time, you know, I walked down around Sloan Street and I met them in a hotel the following week. And, you know, I could have made a decision there and then, oh, you know, I'm staying where I am. You know, I know the job. I'm comfortable. But, you know, you taking yourself out of your comfort zone is, is, you know, is one of the great things in life, isn't it? It's one of the biggest learning curves. And um, a gentleman, actually, when I went around, I met uh, a gentleman, Jan Kishmerik, who was, you know, traveled and passed away this year, actually. He was a, a consultant behind the brand. And Jan Kishmerik interviewed me with Linda. And Jan Kishmerik's mother is Irish. And I think the rest was history after that. So we kind of really bonded. There was a real kind of, you know, a real synergy and we really got on. And for me, that was really important. I had to, you know, I couldn't work. And I said to her, I'll join if I can do product. I said, I'll join if I can do treatment development and product mm. development. And she said, will we need that? And I said, yes, we will need that. So I joined. Um, and, you know, like you join, Gemma, you know, you say, OK, I'll give it a year. I'll give it two years. It'll be a learning curve. I'll move on from there. And here we are. Here we are. years <laughs> down the line. Here we are. So how did great, Linda... Great opportunity. <laughs> you don't say. How did Linda bring <laughs> the three of you together? Um, I mean, Linda, you know, Linda wanted to develop something as close to nature as possible. That was kind of always the, the brief running through the brand. And I did about a year in and I was ticking the creative box and we knew we needed someone on the commercial business side, like ASAP, because it wasn't Linda's forte, and it kind of was. I had no interest in it at the time, even though ultimately I did the full circle around. And we interviewed Sean Harrington, and mm-hmm. Sean was taken on. <clears throat> and Sean, you know, um, Sean is a true entrepreneur. You know, his glass is always half full. And that kind of energy matched our energy as well. And I think, you know, it was bringing together, I think, of kind of like-minded people as well which is really important because I think if you're going on a journey for 35 years you've got to have far more than a brand in common I think mm. I think you know we look at all the founders and founders out there today you know I think we have a lot more in common than you know we have the I, I had the Irish background with him because his mother is from Dublin so we had that you know we you know he's got an incredible sense of humor as well which I think is a key factor in the recipe for this so Sean joined and then of course Sean ultimately brought Ariel in because we thought, hang on a minute, we're creating havoc here. We need someone to mop up the mess behind us and get these stories together and really get the messaging and, you know, get this concept of the brand. And there was the bringing together of, of the Noella, Sean and Ariel trio, which wow. is a great story. Yeah. Noella, you've mentioned that, you know, you join 
a new venture and you think, oh, you know, I'll stick it out for a year or two. We'll see what happens. What about you, Ariel? Did you have any sort of an understanding of how big this brand was going to become? You know, I don't think we ever thought about it, about how it would play out at all. It was very much we were living it every day. You know, it was we were very much in the moment we were striving every single day. We were super passionate. It was super fast moving. There was a relentless pace, but there was also change. You know, we went through four different owners during that time. Mm. So you know, every time that happened, you would like pivot, change. You know, you'd get on a plane, you'd meet the new private equity group. You'd find out where that, you know, every part of that journey was so different. You know, we went from being privately owned to a NASDAQ stock exchange listed company, which you have to do totally different every quarter you have to report your earnings then we went to private equity which for, for, for all of us we've never done that before you know heard of PE but what does that really mean so we went through that massive journey with Catterton's which was incredible we were very fortunate lots of people you know it's tough times but we really had the most incredible time we learned a lot and then you know lots of time was was you know the group bought us and actually, it was lovely to have a, a, a company that really uh, trusted and really believed in co-founders. And also, they had such an amazing sustainability and CSR sort of policy and what they, what they believed in. You know, Reinhold Geiger has such a vision, um, as does his son. And, and to have that as, as our sort of fourth generation of, of the brand was, was amazing. I think it's lovely now we feel, you know, just it'd be nice to look forward to the future, the, the long-term future, because when you're changing, you're changing. It's it's a lot of change to sort of meet the needs of, of your new owners. So I feel like we've landed in a really wonderful place now with Lots of Town Group, and we've had already sort of three fantastic years um, of really sharing and learning from each other. Um, but yeah, no idea that it was ever going to grow to this level at all. Each of the three of you do bring a different, I guess, skill set, if you will, to the business. You've touched on sharing the same values and that being key, but what else do you think is key to collaborating successfully and really working as a team? I think there's one from the, if I can take this, sorry, I think respect is really mm. important. I think respect for me is really important. I think also we have to keep a very open mind to learning. You know, if you keep you know, keep learning, keep moving, keep pushing, you know, where we have a dream. We started this with a dream and where we are going to realize this dream and we will realize it. We will realize it together. And I think it's that respect of what each, each person brings to that relationship, I think, is really important. And the experience. And, you know, we've laughed and we've cried together. And I think let's not romanticize about it either, Gemma. You know, there, you know, the first 10 years were hard graft, I'll be honest, mm. or hard work. And there was times when we'd look at one another and think, oh my God, what have we done here? But the commitment and the passion and the, you know, the dream is the driver all the time. And I think keeping keep, wanting to keep learning. I think if that if that hunger is there. Then I think we always come together and we have, we have different things to share. So I think it's a combination of respect and and learning, really. We had this mantra, and actually, I, I dug it out because I was like, I, actually, it was always, we always started every meeting, and it was like, we start with an idea, we create a vision, we believe in our vision, and we make it happen. 
And that has continued. And it was like, we love to learn, to travel, to create and to share our knowledge and move forward, never standing still. And that's still the same today. You know, it's evolving. The business is changing and we need to evolve. It's no longer a small startup. It's now a large global organization. And that requires different skill sets, different people getting involved, scaling up. And so we have to keep learning and evolving. But to Noella's point, respect is 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 key when you've learned all of that over the last 30 years it, you know you've learned a lot a lot's in the gut a lot's in there i would love to hear more about the launch timeline i've heard a story i think Ariel, you've told this story about the first clinical trial results coming back and they said something to the tune of this product does not do a thing so back to the drawing board you went How did that experience from your very first clinical trial shape your approach to product development from there on out? I mean, I think it was a a massive turning point. The brand had always been really sort of essential oils and body. And we'd never really done in those days an anti-aging product. It was a skincare, high performance product. We put a lot of love and care. We were ready to press the button for launch. But we said, let's do a clinical trial. And we had to get budget to do that. It was very expensive, thousands of pounds. Spent all this money on an independent clinical trial. And you get this sort of independent you know, book back. And the first page says, not statistically significant. And I remember actually sitting down with Noelle around the table saying, you know, a lot of people would just say, we'll spin it. We'll do a great story. We'll give it a great name. And off we go. But we were like, this is our brand. This is our you know, heart on the line of of what this does. And and we said, no, we're going to pull that and we will not launch it. So it's that sort of never, ever compromise. We went back to the drawing board. We went back to the lab. We boosted actives. We changed actives. We re-went through it all with our, our chemists. Then we had to pay the whole, you know, clinical trial again, which, you know, in those days, budget was tight. Mm. And we got incredible results. And it was all delayed a year, 18 months. However... I genuinely think having that conviction, that authenticity, that real, you know, passion to to deliver something that really does deliver has given us that trust from our consumer. Uh, And I think it was a real turning point for us. So, you know, still to this day, when if a product doesn't pass its clinical trial, we won't launch it. We still test every product. We still reject products that don't feel good, don't don't make you feel like they're doing anything and and we really are consistent with that and I think having us still there doing that has kept the brand very consistent in delivering high performance products. The while we're on high performance products the Pro Collagen Marine Cream launched in 2003 which by my understanding is really the product that put the brand on the map particularly given it still has such a cult following today some 20 years later what do you think it was and still is about that particular product and that technology that resonated with so many people I mean I I I think you know it wasn't by default we we really thought about this really long and hard Gemma and I think it was very bold and disruptive what we did 20 years ago we decided that, you know, as skins got older, everyone thought creams should get heavier and thicker. And we thought, no, 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 because actually we must allow the skin to breathe. And actually half of that cream you put on at night goes off in the bedclothes if it's too heavy and too thick and too sticky. So we wanted to bring into this whole 
aged or you know age maintenance or anti-aging I, I hate the word anti-aging we'll talk mm. about that another time um into that age maintenance space is is was a cream that was a gel cream texture we wanted to really be disruptive in the texture space and have a real strong story of course that's one thing and of course Gemma it must work and there is no mm. compromise today to it has to work you know, so that was the clinical trial piece. It was the very first product we put in for a clinical trial. As Aria said, no compromise to that. We believe in real truth. We believe in transparency. And we believe that the product must deliver what it says it's going to deliver. And we really took pains in that in Procology. And then with this beautiful, you know, Pedina Pavonica, unicellular seaweed, mimicking the skin's function, we had this super story on ingredients as well. So I think 20 years ago, you know, we were bold, but there was no compromise. And I think that's a true DNA of, of what Elemis is about today. There is no compromise, no gimmicks. You know, we don't pay lip service to anything. We will try and push the boundary in that space as much as we possibly can. On that note, Noella, you are global president of the brand and coming from the beauty therapy side <laughs> of things, you really do inspire each treatment and each product that LMS develops. How does that product development process work at LMS? Are you constantly thinking about what will come next? Are you working off consumer demand or is it a bit of both? I think there's a bit of both today, Gemma. I think we use treatment development as very differently to any other brand. To me, treatment development is the space where we go and play. You know, I say to the girls here, you know, put no limits on it. Let's push it. While we're playing, let's push it. Let's use different textures. Let's do layering, gel, creams, oils. You know, Elemis has a texture library. We pride ourselves on that texture library. And if the skin is to be stimulated and kept at its maximum function every day, you've got to stimulate that with different textures. That's how you stimulate the skin. And, and and we firmly believe in that. So some of the great launches today have come out from the playground of going into that space. In fact, I'm just about to go into it again, Gemma, believe mm -hmm. it. I've only done this three times in the journey of the brand. And here is the third time I'm going back into. So you're talking to me now at a very exciting time because I love this. It's my it's the playground where you can be super creative. And again, it's it's again, okay, we listen to our community. I think that's really important. You can't just go off on a tangent. We have a very diverse community today, very vocal, very diverse, and very demographically, mm. a, a real stretch of demographic as well. So we have to listen to that, and we have to listen to what they think they're missing from their routine. We then go back into development, and then during that time, some wonderful new ingredients, concepts will come from that, and they will flow back into retail again. So we do services and treatments very differently to any yeah. other brand. And I say that with the respect in the world to every other brand. It isn't about layering 10, 12 products on the skin. It may be about layer putting on six, but getting the result that you really want to pick that mirror up and see the difference. So it's a key, it's a key point of difference for the brand. And, and I think, um, and, and it's a privilege for me to be able to go back into that space again and play again for another couple of months to bring out something quite creative. And then Oriel works alongside me. 
really getting the story of that together, getting the mm. concept of that together, how will it fit within the brand? So there's that double act in that space is very, very powerful. Well, Ariel, you are the Chief Product and Sustainability Officer. In as much or as little detail as you wish, can you talk me through some of the sustainability initiatives that LMS has in place? Wow, that's, uh, that's a huge topic. So I'll try <laughs> to be succinct. Um, it's a new role that I've taken on over the last three years. And uh, so it was coming into a brand that had been established for 25 years and I hadn't really focused on this. So we tried to keep it super simple. We first of all uh, um, looked at the sustainability development goals from the UN, United Nations, and we asked our teams, which ones resonate with you? And we chose seven. So there was mm-hmm. good health and well-being, quality education, gender equality, uh, responsible consumption and production, climate action, life below water and life on land. Because you can't do everything. So, you know, these were the set, the seven that resonated with our staff okay. that they felt passionate to work with. And I think that was really important to me. I didn't want it to be my vision, just me telling everyone what they were going to do. I wanted them mm-hmm. to be thinking about this. We then worked very closely with the Lotstown Group um, and we worked under their three pillars, which were biodiversity, climate and people. So keeping it super simple. And then for each of those pillars, we started to create Elemis's vision for those. So, for instance, to give you a few examples on biodiversity, what you start looking at is and we'd never approached our formula formulas like this was how do we improve the eco design of our formulations? So anything that is going down the plug hole actually needs to be as biodegradable as possible. And people don't think about mm-hmm. that when they're Yeah. So we now, anything that is a rinse off, we have, have to really target over 95% biodegradable. Full traceability. Where is every extract from? And is that being sourced from, you know, a country that people are being paid living wage? So really understanding the traceability of our product. Um, And also sustainable sourcing. Is there a better way of sourcing? So we're changing that culture of thinking to think forward thinking on everything new that we're doing. Then when it comes to climate, you know, we're looking at how do we reduce our carbon emissions, our energy use uh, and packaging waste. Those three things really to simplify Mm -hmm. it. I kind of went into the five R's, the very simple, the remote, what can we remove? What can we reduce? What can we reuse? What can we refill? And actually right at the end, what can we recycle? Because really we need to do all the others first. Mm. So the first thing we did was like, why have we got a spatula in every box? When most people say, I use it once or twice and then I just throw it away because it's too faffy. Got rid of all spot spatulas, got rid of all the leaflets with the 17 languages. We've started to reduce down our cartons. And this is a long tail. This is over the next 10 years. Um, We're looking at the recycling. What materials? You've got only two infinitely recyclable materials, aluminium and glass. You know, plastic can be recycled to a certain element once or twice, but also we have plastic pollution. So that is a myriad. And I've been learning as much as my team have been learning is what is the direction that we should be going? And you'll see our last few launches the rosemarine cream the rose micro serum uh the 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 new beautiful uh essence they're all in glass packaging which now you can put into the the bin and have recycled so we also looked at our whole value chain so all of our partners have to do something called ecovardus which is a special sort of csr they have to fill out a form and we have to make sure that they're on that same journey with us 
And then finally, sort of people and philanthropy kind of wraps around that. And that's not just our staff, that's also our consumer. How do we educate them? We put them through something called truth and beauty. They learn about it. We take them on, you know, river cleanups to understand a little bit more about it. We take them to the fields to understand why it's important, you know, that we have bees in this world because, you know, bees, we don't have any food because nothing gets pollinated. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're looking at how that works. We're also diversity and equity and inclusion is key. We need to really think about that. So all of these new work streams are coming through the business. And then 1% of revenue to be given back um, as, as part of our CSR by 2026 is something that is being advocated by the business. So again, we split that into social and environmental. And again, we asked the teams, what resonates with you? I, I think post COVID, everyone was about mental health um, mm -hmm. and also about disease prevention, because I think many things like cancer have touched many people. So mm -hmm. we, look, we work with Look Good, Feel Better, we look, work with Prince's Trust, we're working with different charities. And then it's the future will be about how do we really engage all of our community, our consumers and our, 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 all of our staff to really embody that. Um, so yes, it's been super exciting, massive learning curve for me, but something I'm, I've always been very passionate about. What's absolutely hysterical to me is that several times in that answer, you use the word simple. This is not the norm. This approach to sustainability is so beyond the norm. Yeah, it is absolutely overwhelming. But I think sitting here today, if I can make what changes do mm. I control that I can make to make a difference? That's where you've got to start. Well, let's come back to what you said to your mum when you were a child. What's the point of being on the earth for such a short amount of time if you're not making an impact? There it is. <laughs> Elemis received on that um, B Corp certification in January of this year, I believe. What does that mean and what did the process of being certified entail? Yeah, I mean, again, I'd never really heard of B Corp. It was a new thing for me. I had to research, I had to understand what it was. And it, what B Corp is incredible at doing is it creates a framework. So it simplifies for your business. It simplifies what how to look at whether you're doing business well. Mm. Um, it's an independent certification. Uh, it gets rewarded to companies and it's about the, the standards of environment, mental, social, and governance. And what does that mean? Again, to keep it simple, we changed our articles of association, which is a legal document to say, we would no longer be just looking at profit, profit, profit. We would look at profit <laughs> alongside planet equally. And that was really Lockstown Group as well, uh, really pushing that forward to think differently. So it's a complete change of mindset. You then work through this framework. And it, for me, it was it was brilliant because no one really understood how we could do that. So you start with customers, you work with community, you work with environment, you work with governance, you work with workers. There's a series of questions and actually anybody can go on to the B Corp uh, framework free of charge and actually just go and enter and understand what they should be doing. So it's actually an open source uh, tool, but then you go through this and it took us a year and a half. I had the most incredible team working on it. We did it internally. We didn't bring an expert in to just do it and then go. We, we did it ourselves, which I'm very, very wow. proud of. And that involved talking to every touch point 
right through to the manufacturing, right through to, are we changing our electricity to 100% renewable? Oh, can we do that? Yes, let's do it today. Let's change it today. Um, we've got plastic bubble wrap everywhere. How do we get rid of that? Well, you know, and it kind of, it was lovely because it dovetailed with the three pillars all the way along. But you then have to submit. Uh, you, you, you get a benchmark where you are. You have to hit, hit 80 points. When we first filled out that survey, we were at about 46. Mm -hmm. So you go, oh, my gosh, we've got a long way to go. You then work through improvements in your business uh, to see whether you can kind of get to those 80 points. And then every three years, you have to recertify and improve by 10%. So it, it was it was a wonderful way to keep it super simple, but then apply that to our business. And we're super proud. There's over 6,000 B Corps. There's, it's, I went to the B Corp leadership conference in Amsterdam and to be there with like-minded businesses, all trying, we know we're not perfect. We know we've got a long way to go, but everyone's saying we are part of this movement for change that business needs to be a force for good is quite overwhelmingly powerful it was amazing and it's not just beauty i think there's now yeah. 60 court beauty brands um and again that collaboration i'm on, on the b corp coalition so i get to meet all these 60 brands from all over the world but we're all we're all helping each other and that i think is a massive turning point for the industry you know i sit on three mm -hmm. boards and we're all sitting united that even though we're independently competitive, we have to work on this together for the future of, of, of our planet. So, yeah, it's, it's been great. I didn't know about the recertification process. That's cool. Every three years, did you say? Yeah, every three years you have to show improvement. Wow. You have to show improvement, yes. Wow. The brand is well and truly global. 2018 was a particularly big year for expansion with the brand entering, I think, about 600 Ulta Beauty stores across the US. What were some of the lessons that you picked up, either of you, during that real global expansion process? Um, I think we're very lucky, Gemma. We realized as a brand that we now have two heroes here. And, you know, a lot of brands don't have any heroes, yeah. but we're very lucky to have two, you know, and, and, and there's no arrogance in that, you know, we're thrilled to bits to have two products that actually are that can be the number one global they're the same in china as they are in the us europe and the uk in our home domestic market and that is of course pro collagen marine you know whether it's reinvented as rose whatever it's 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 up there in the in the top and of course the pro collagen cleansing bath My our favorite. number one client client acquisition product mm -hmm. so now we have a product that we know if we get it into as many hands as possible that people immediately fall in love with the brand and they up purchase into pro collagen. So now we have a, a strategy here. So it's that we can now be far more focused and lasered. And we decided that we would, you know, really be dominant in that, you know, owning that that cleansing, owning the cleansing space and owning the, the collagen space. So going into to, to Ulta, it was very lasered, lasered on the Fab 3 educating on you know the, the the purpose of cleansing but cleansing with a beautiful cleanser a cleanser that has three textures so three cleansing mm. in one uh, you can have fun you can have the wellness piece as well so take that lid off smell that beautiful classic or smell the new rolly or smell the rose you can choose you can have fun 
And fun is an interesting word in skincare because I think we have to kind of shake it all off and just let the consumer have fun. Let them play. And I think that's what we experimented with. Uh, we definitely experimented with that in, in Ulta. And, and they're a great partner for that. And they saw the value of, of that. And you, so, so really started, we started to experiment in that space and have, be a little bit more tongue in cheek. And you know, shake off, shake off the throats, and just let the brand do the job it needs to do. So yeah, we approached Ulta very differently, and have had key learnings. But they've been a, a great part. You're so right about having two heroes. That's another rarest. Yeah, I mean, you know, we can think of brands, and we can think of one that we might kind of hunt and and, and go across the high street for. But to have two products. And those two have translated. And everyone said you could never make a product that could translate across globally. And here you are. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Da -da. So the the resurfacing pads would have to be up there as well, surely. They are. They would be in the Fab 3 in U.S., and they and they they US have great fun with them on TikTok as well. They translate mm. really well onto those platforms, those social platforms. They engage with a younger demographic as well. So yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Big in the US. The brand is available in one hundred countries now, which blows my mind. Have either of you noticed any major differences in the way that consumers shop? from region to region, any products that do well in one place and perhaps not in others or countries that are maybe quicker to pick up on a new product, any differences? Oh, gosh, um, Gemma, it's a very different landscape today. I yeah. mean, you have a lot of noise. You have a lot of noise. You have social media. You have TikTok. You have every influencer has something to say. You have KOLs. You have a lot of people with a lot of opinions. And, you know, you've got the brand in many ways has to kind of let go a little bit. You mm -hmm. know, I think you've got to kind of trust it. You know, these are our consumers who love the brand. And Ariel can talk to the love because love is a word that we get. Oh, I love Animus. I'm in love. Love is a word that we associate a lot. So, yeah, I think it's a very it's a very it's a very interesting landscape. I think you've got social media has changed everything. Um, and I think TikTok will certainly change it again. But it's about entertainment. Yeah, it's about entertaining our client today. You know, and then touching it, smelling it, feeling it, having fun with it. And I think that is where they, but ultimately the product's got to work. That's the fundamental behind running behind all the time. And that hasn't changed. It's, yeah, it's funny that you mention letting go. I think that's <laughs> with TikTok in particular. I mean, that is you the can key. see, we don't let go very easily. That's going to be a rite of passage for Ariana and Sean, actually. But it's also been, a great fun as well to see i mean tiktok obviously is a whole new space for us but my goodness to see you know our our um our even our cleansing bar i mean if you if you went on and just watch that cleansing bar come alive across so many 111 countries we know we've topped 111 countries wow. and and cleansing bomb is the number one client acquisition product i mean that's quite quite something really. quite an achievement so we're very proud for a moment, for a moment. Oh, for now. <laughs> You've both been moment. part of the beauty industry for over 30 years. Over the last, let's say the last decade or so, what are some of the biggest changes that you have seen 
within the beauty industry? I mean, for me, as a, yeah, for, for me as a marketeer and a product developer, you know, when you're, you're, you're classically trained in marketing and then along comes the internet and along comes social media, it's completely changed. Different language, different audience, attention span. I mean, everything is seconds. Oh my you God, know, attention you span. Attention span. So I think that I has been the biggest change up. Uh, for for us in terms of of marketing and it's a different skill set and it's a next generation uh, way of viewing things so that's probably the the biggest biggest change I think in terms of product development uh, it's really thinking a bit more diverse as well it's thinking about all types of skins Uh, you know so that's something that we have you know different uh, ethnicities age in different ways and that's something that we don't necessarily hadn't really started with so we really need to think differently in that respect as well um and and to noella's point we were talking about different countries it's thinking differently when i went to china recently they were like exfoliation isn't a thing here and i was like but dynamic pads must be number three that you know number two and uh exfoliation for them is isn't in their in their culture so culturally um, understanding that every country has a different dynamic. Um, and I think, you know, back to the the internet, the social media, the power of these influencers and these doyens is, is just incredible. Mm-hmm. They get a following, people believe in them. That is the voice, you know, the journalism. I mean, I did a... Yeah, yeah, or I was just saying, I was laughing because I was thinking yeah. the live streaming I did with Gloria the other day. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, Gloria is, is the top KOL in China and, and we did a live streaming. And my God, Gemma, it was just, a, I can't speak, obviously, a, a word of Chinese, but I was doing a live streaming with this amazing girl, you know, full of personality. And I just came off and I thought, my God, did that just happen? You know, it was in incredible and that i think for aurel and i i mean that can that's exciting you know i just think that whole world opening up in this space is just a whole new learning as well um and it will change it will change the landscape there is no doubt about it and they said there's a real shift right now from they were saying you know authenticity it used to be it had to be authentic and authentic now it's relevancy it's got to be relevant i you know i've got to see myself can i use that will is that for me and it, it's kind of all about me, you know, and I think that's good. Let's watch this space, see where we wash up. But it's um, certainly a journey. Well, you've given me a nice segue because my next question was going to be, what changes do you think we can expect to see from the industry over the coming few years? But I guess it's more of that content being specific to the person that's viewing it, being relevant. It's relevant. It'll be interesting to see where, where wellness sits in all of this, Gemma, yeah. because wellness is running along. And what, you know, I ask an oral ask, and what's wellness in skincare? Well, wellness is skincare. What, you know, what is it? it? For me, it would be skin health. And, you know, we've always spoke to that element. We've always spoke to the microflora. We've always spoke to the microbiome, you know, the ecosystem of the skin. That's always been something that's always been a, a key, key, key driver within our formulations. Uh, aromatic is wellness, taking the lid off, smelling it, breathing it, taking that moment, experience it. You know, that brings color into your lifestyle. So I think that trend is interesting how that's going to weave. Instant will never go away. I put mm-hmm. it on. I want to see the results now. 
today, an hour later. So instant is an interesting word that's coming up as well. I think, you know, how are we going to deliver into that space? Um, but yeah, but it's it's um, it's never dull. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Ariel, what changes do you think we'll see over the next few years? I mean, I'm really seeing, it's fascinating seeing how technology is merging closer to beauty. So equipment that can see the UV damage, that can show you where maybe potentially you might start to age. And I think that younger generation, there's something called biohacking. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's, it's mm-hmm. like we all now can have a watch and stand on, you know, a, a measurements of our own health. We can see how many calories we've burnt. We can see what our blood pressure is. We can see. So the, the human being is taking more direct control of themselves. And that's happening in skincare too, where you can see sort of six, seven different aspects of your skin through these incredible cameras that are getting better and better and better. So I think the next generation is going to have far more education at an early age of things they really shouldn't be doing, like sitting in the sun with no sun protection. Uh, It does age the skin. There's proof of that. But I think technology (laughs) merging closer to beauty is is what I think is, is, is an interesting time. My final question for you both, what is next for Elemis? Oh, we've got to realise the dream, Gemma. You know, it's, it's, you know, we've come this far, we've got to see it right through. You know, we want to take this British skincare brand to being the number one globally. And, and, and that, you know, we're on that and we're not deviating from that journey. And for me, the icing on the cake would to make sure that by being the number one British brand, we're also take premium beauty into the sustainably sustainable world because I don't think anyone has done it well so we've got to be beautiful we've got to have results we're going to do this globally absolutely that is the dream but we're also going to really be mindful of how we're doing that and do it as in the best way possible that was Noella Gabrielle and Ariel Frank co-founders of Elemis, which you can find on Instagram at Elemis and at Elemis underscore ANZ. To read more, you can visit glowjournal.com. And for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at gemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me. The Glow Journal podcast would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people, the traditional custodians of the land upon which this podcast is produced. We pay our respects to elders past and present.